Glib Liberals, Reading Leviticus, in Tory Times, 2018, Everett Fox, Shock and Bible, Chapter 7. Now this is the instruction for the Asham offering. It is the holiest holy portion. In the place where they slay the offering up, they are to slay the Asham offering, and its blood is to be dashed against the slaughter site all around. Now from it all its fat is to be brought near. The thick tail and the fat that covers the innards. The two kidneys and the fat that is about them and that is on the tendons. And the extension along the liver along with the kidneys is to be removed. The priest is to turn them into smoke on the slaughter site, a fire offering to Yahweh. It is an Asham offering. Any male among the priests may eat it. In a holy place it is to be eaten. It is the holiest holy portion. Like the Hatat offering, so the Yasham offering. One instruction for them. The priest who effects purgation through it, his shall it be. And the priest who brings near the offering up of a layman, the skin of the offering up that he brings near is for the priest, his shall it be. And any grain gift that is baked in an oven, and any that is prepared in a frying pan or on a griddle, it is for the priest that brings it near, his shall it be. But any grain gift mixed with oil or dry, from any of the sons of Aharon shall it be, each man like his brother. Now this is the instruction for the slaughter offering of Shalom that is brought near for Yahweh. If it is on account of thanksgiving that he brings it near, he is to bring near along with the slaughter offering of thanksgiving matzah cakes mixed with oil, matzah wafers smeared with oil, flour well stirred into cakes mixed with oil, along with cakes of leavened bread, he is to bring near his near offering, along with his slaughter offering of the thanksgiving of shalom. He is to bring near from it one of each kind of near offering as a contribution for Yahweh. It is for the priest that dashes the blood of the shalom offering. His shall it be. As for the flesh of his slaughter offering of thanksgiving of shalom, on the day of his bringing it near, it is to be eaten. He may not leave any of it until morning. Now if a vow offering or a free will offering is his slaughtered near offering. On the day of his bringing near his slaughter offering, it is to be eaten. On the morrow, what is left of it may be eaten. And what is left of the flesh of the slaughter offering on the third day in fire, it is to be burned. Now, should there be eaten, yes, eaten any of the flesh 
of his slaughter offering of Shalom on the third day, it is not acceptable for him that brings it near. It will not be reckoned to him. Tainted meat shall it be considered. And the person who eats of it, his iniquity he shall bear. Flesh that touches anything tamai is not to be eaten. In fire it is to be burned. As for other flesh, anyone ritually pure may eat the flesh. But the person who that eats flesh from the slaughter offering of Shalom that is Yahweh's, while his tumah is upon him, cut off shall that person be from his kinspeople. And a person, when he touches anything tamai, human tumah, or a tamai animal, or any tamai detestable creature, and eats the flesh of the slaughter offering of Shalom, that is Yahweh's, cut off shall that person be from his kinspeople. Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Any fat of an ox or a lamb or a goat you are not to eat. Now fat from a carcass, fat from a torn animal, may be used for any work purpose, but eating you are not to eat it. For whoever eats fat from an animal from which a fire offering may be brought near for Yahweh, cut off shall the person be that eats thus from his kinspeople. And any blood you are not to eat throughout all your settlements, either of fowl or of domestic animal. Any person that eats any blood cut off shall that person be from his kinspeople. Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who brings near his slaughter offering of Shalom for Yahweh, it is to bring his near offering himself to Yahweh from his slaughter offering of Shalom. His own hands are to bring the fire offerings for Yahweh. The fat, along with the breast, he is to bring it. The breast for elevating it as an elevation offering before the presence of Yahweh. And the priest is to turn the fat into smoke on the slaughter site, and the breast is to be Asaron and his sons. Now the right thigh you are to give as contribution to the priest from your slaughter offerings of Shalom. He who brings near the blood of the Shalom offerings and the fat from among the sons of Aharon, his shall it be, the right thigh as a portion. For the breast of the elevation offering and the thigh of the contribution I take from the children of Israel from their slaughter offerings of Shalom. And I give them to Aharon the priest and to his sons as an allotment for the ages for the children of Israel. 
This is the anointed chair of Aharon and the anointed chair of his sons from the fire offerings of Yahweh. From the time he brought them near to be priests for Yahweh, which Yahweh commanded to be given them from the time of his anointing them from the children of Israel as a law for the ages throughout their generations. This is the instruction concerning the offering up, concerning the grain gift, concerning the hatat offering, concerning the asham offering, and concerning the mandate offering, and concerning the slaughter offering of Shalom, that Yahweh commanded Moshe at Mount Sinai, at the time of his commanding the children of Israel to bring near their near offerings to Yahweh in the wilderness of Sinai. End of chapter 7. Chapter 7. Irregular Receipts in Consumption and Sacrifice Irregular receipts across the boundaries from the regular Ola, Mincha, and Shahat to the less loaded Shalamim, sacrifices. Let's clarify what is sacrificed, who can handle it, its inclusions and exclusions. What counts? The range of categories is defined as vows. For what? By whom? Call this a guilt offering, not a sin offering, similar in terms of priests' claims, but we can simply make a thank offering, which the priest can turn into a heave offering, but it must be conceived, consumed as a free will offering in the first three days, or it becomes offensive. You can't dump junk or unclean stuff. If you do, it's burnt up. If people consume the unclean, they are shunned. Part of this passage reminds me of fundraising as distinct from the sounder rhythms of generosity and sharing. The motives of participants get slippery. The connection to the fundamental spiritual issues is lost. I wince at our junk for Jesus sales, the unspoken rules of stuff that's not good enough for Kasiji, and our notions that Capital repairs and maintenance of million-dollar heritage buildings can or should be funded by bake sales. The fat and blood in this sacrificial system are not for consuming. Sure, the animal blood is splashed on the sides of the altar and the fat is burned on the top of the fire, providing more of a spectacle for the senses. At home, with most of your flock. Is it prohibited to eat fat? No. The breast and thigh can be tanufa and taroma, raising up and separation, or wave offering, to be swung around by the priest in some way before it is shared. This is votive or promise. This is to be handled with proper intentions, or it will invalidate the sacrifice. Have you reviewed the Canadian Institution, uh, Institute of Chartered Accountants rules for restricted trusts, respecting donors, intentions, and beneficial purpose? 
I've been repeating my case for decades, but particularly in congregations struggling with large legacy fund endowments and few current participants, that the charitable and religious intentions of the donors should be honored. What did we intend when we accumulated the real property asset of a downtown church? For what purposes did we donate and overbuild things of beauty as well as functionality? This trust is not for a set of beneficiaries for each other or even the registered members of the United Church, but for purposes. God's purposes. And the threat is clear. Even in this liminal region of unclarity, the intention of the donor, the trusteeship of the stewards, don't self-serve, or you'll be banished, left out, alone, in the desert. In our current context, religious communities sitting on material endowments as if they were annuities, without the quotidian and abdominal seasonal and annual receipt and use of most of our stuff lose the thread of our purposes and wither and die of course in the past two millennia the desert of banishment the marginal vulnerability of exiles is metaphorical but perhaps our relegation from the main line to the sideline of our kids and our community's interest is banishment and desert enough and when tired, perhaps I ask, can you smell the sulfur? We first world Christians, lukewarm, in affluent churches, might do well to recover the sense of Leviticus' ultimate threat. <laughs>